What a surprise. Are about to collide. Well, we've always been each other's greatest nemesis. Since I... Nemesis. Nemesis. <laughs> now, with the city's one true hero missing... Captain Amazing is in danger. Kaboom. Who will step forward? You again. Wannabes. To answer the call of justice. Don't mess with the volcano, my man. Because I... will go Pompeii on your... Cities in peril, Lucille. All of their lives. Butch needs his vest back. Well, it's my vest, too. I bought it for him. But now that their time has come... I'm a superhero, too. What's his power? Excuse me. They're going to need all the help they can get. We gotta find a lot of superheroes really quickly. State your name and power. PMS Avenger. I only work four days a month. Is there a problem with that? No. No. I am the Waffler. Waffler! Universal Pictures presents. We need to talk about your plans. I'm going to kill you. Right, that's the part that really doesn't work for me. A new league of heroes that step to a different beat. Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. I don't find you threatening at all. <laughs> Classic heroes. We're the other guys. Mystery men. I'm invisible. Can you see me? Yes. Wow. Maybe you should put some shorts on or something if you want to keep fighting evil today. Hey, now you're an all star. Welcome to Pop Culture Stories. <laughs> Speaking of songs I've forgotten. Oh, I know. Um, let me introduce us, and I'm going to jump right in. Um, welcome to Pop Culture Historians. You're smack dab in the middle, nearing towards the end of our 90s uh, superhero movie tribute uh, series. My name is Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane. Jimmy, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I am great. Okay. Now all that stuff's out of the way. Now, y'all know what you're listening to. Uh I had forgotten how big of I just I'm jumping right. I'm coming in hot. I had forgotten how big, how much of this movie's DNA was wrapped up in that all-star song. That's known as like the Shrek. <laughs> that's known as the Shrek song now to like Gen Z and beyond. No, no, no. Mystery Men. That's the movie we're talking about this week, by the way. Mystery Men. I mean, I remember it being in the commercials for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know why, but I didn't, I didn't really thought about it even when we started watching this movie. And so when they started playing it during the movie, I'm like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, this, there was a run where like every movie, it felt like, had to use this song. <laughs> like, I think like Inspector Gadget, I think they're listening to that in the Inspector Gadget movie. Oh, if anyone remembers Jesus. that, if anyone remembers that, uh, Turkey. <laughs> Um, that was a, that was an early mo. that was an early movie for me, by the way, where I was like, oh, movies can be bad. <laughs> that movie um, was pretty awful yeah. it's too bad because i loved the inspector gadget cartoon i love it, it still holds up too by the way um okay yeah show that to your uh your, your daughter sometime <laughs> I, honestly i think it, daddy like, i don't want to watch it <laughs> you're gonna like it this is old who cares <laughs> um 
who's Inspector Clouseau? Like, what is this a riff off of? I don't care. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, All Star is like in the, the Mystery Men clips are in the uh, music video for uh, All Star, just to kind of give you an idea of like how much this came first over Shrek. But I guess Shrek is more memeable, and they they should they should. Well, <laughs> keep Shrek is also Shrek, the. I, should have thought about that. Shrek is also the more successful movie, yeah. and yes. um, definitely the better liked movie. I would argue. Yeah, and that that mm, that kind of leads us into our first couple sections here. Um, first of all, yeah, let me set the. T- I I had to get the all star thing uh, out of the way. It's like <laughs> I, I I had I had to mention it up top. But let's let's table set a little bit. Mystery Men, that's our movie. Nineteen ninety nine's Mystery Men. Uh, you talked about how it's not a well liked movie. We're going to figure out what we thought of it. Well, I, obviously, not a well. I, I said I felt Shrek was the better liked movie. That's a, you know what? That's fair. I don't want to, that, that's a, that's a classic miscategorization uh, from uh, one pop culture historian to another. It is a better like movie uh, that it's, it seems to have endured more in the public consciousness. Again, I'd argue because it's more memeable, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> although I don't know, I think there's some moments in this that, that um, play pretty good out of context. So we're going to figure out what we thought about it. Obviously that would be the meat of this episode, but as always, we have to figure out what uh, a professional film critic uh, thinks about this movie, which means it's time for Lenny's Movie Review Corner. This is where I pull out my handy-dandy Leonard Maltin's 2010 movie guide. Look up his capsule review for Mystery Men. Uh, we're going to read it out. And first, we're going to guess what he might have given this, his rating scale for those who are not familiar it's a, it's a one to four scale that goes up in the, or down, I guess, however you want to look at it, in half star uh, intervals. And one star is referred to as bomb. Bomb. So I, I don't think I know this one. I feel like I might have looked at it a long time ago. I'm not sure. Um, so you, you can tell me if you'd rather I uh, sit this one out. But um, No, no, it's fine. You can guess. You okay. Can guess. okay. Um, um, cool. Do it. My, my guess. I don't know. I don't think Lenny's gonna like it. I just, I think he's gonna give it. I think he'll give it two stars. I don't think he's gonna hate it. I don't think he's gonna love it. Yeah, that's strong. I, I don't, I, I don't think he's gonna like this either. I don't think it's like a bomb. It's not like uh, he kind of gets, he kind of gets more upset about like excessive violence or like excessive like. I don't know. I, I, I'll go one and a half. I'll go one and a half. One of the last pages on this section. Mystery. Whoa, we're both wrong. Two and a half. Oh, okay. Silly, flimsy story of wannabe superheroes with specious powers uniting to rescue a genuine hero from an evil villain. Good dialogue and a fun cast make up for the overblown special effects and cluttered array of characters. Not unfair. I don't know about no, no, okay. yeah, genuine hero. I think is a weird way to categorize uh, Captain Amazing, but we'll talk about him. <laughs> um, two and a half. Wow, I I really I recalled him not liking this, but okay. Um, that's what Leonard Malton, um, famous film reviewer, thought. <laughs> now time for uh, two infamous film reviewers. I guess that'd be us. To think about talk about what they thought of it. Uh, I'll ask the question we normally ask on top here. Had you seen this before? I think I'd seen bits and pieces, but I never like sat down and watched the whole thing. Because um, some, some of it did seem familiar to me. Some of that I think I'd seen like out of context too. Like I'd seen like 
Dane Cook as the waffler before. <laughs> um, but uh, in general, no, I have not seen it. How do you? Uh, yeah, I had seen it. This is actually kind of a movie where I had a friend who would quote it incessantly with like word perfect recitation. You know, like one of those kids who like memorized all their favorite movies but like didn't do their homework. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one of those things. And so, like, he would just quote me, like, long passages. Like, um, I had um, Paul Rubin's, like, origin story monologue, like, seared in my brain before I'd ever seen this. Because he would just quote it over and over and over. Uh, yeah, I finally saw it. Well, yeah, I probably slept over at, like, this this kid's house. And, like, he finally showed it to me. And I was, like, prepping to hate it. Because, like, it wasn't, like, well-liked. In the re- I, this is kind of in the era where I was first starting to pay attention to, like, reviews and, like, the paper and, like... Ebert and Roper, Siskel and Ebert, whatever. It wasn't like a well-liked movie, but um, so I just kind of assumed like, oh, adults said it was bad. Um, that must that must be the be and end all. I end up kind of liking it. Uh, I, I wasn't like in love with it. I never watched it again for twenty years, but I remember ha- I remember having a good time with it um, in like two thousand one or two thousand two, whenever. <laughs> it's probably on like VHS, just to give you an idea of how long ago right. this was. Um, so yeah, and there there it kind of sat. Um, it was one of those things where it's like I'd forgotten how much I remembered about this. Like a lot of it came back to me as I was watching this um, uh, earlier this week. So, yeah, I, mean, I guess we can transition into whether or not it uh, held up or whether um, it was worth sitting down and watching for the first time. Um, do you want to go first or shall I? You can go first. Um, I... I still like it more than I think I was expecting. I was worried this was gonna like not hold up because it has all the hallmarks of something that like wouldn't hold up. Because um, its sense of humor can be—it's weird. It's like it's stupid, but it's smart. So maybe it's like smartly stupid, or maybe stupidly <laughs> smart. Because like you have these um, you know, side by side like these long you know, passages of dialogue where like it's kind of cleverly written and um, kind of. Uh, hard to follow in a witty way like the whole thing about like i know that you know that did you know that i knew that you knew that i know and like it all fits but like it's kind of rapid fire and then it's like uh paul rubin's farting like those are like those are like right next to each other so yeah uh- <laughs> um i think it's a little long it's like almost two hours um yeah i little- agree i think you could trim down some some of the sequences in this movie and you'd be better off uh agreed i think you could probably lose 20 minutes off this and um it might even be Kind of a classic, but I think it's kind of fun just to see. Let's talk about this towards the end of the episode as we get into like lasting effect on the genre. If nothing else, it's kind of fun to see like this cast that really shows you where comedy was at the end of the decade, uh, the 90s. I mean, you kind of have everything covered here. You have a couple of uh, SNL alumni, although um, maybe less successful on that show than they were in other things. You have Greg Kinnear, um, the original talk soup host. Um, you got, I mean, Jeffrey Rush is not a comedian. I, um, so that's a bad example. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of fun to see all these people in like a project together. Um, I think it's the kind of quirky material that doesn't really maybe get turned into um, blockbuster. This is not like a, this is not like a small affair. This was like a, uh, this was like a big movie for 1999. And it's a, that was a big year for movies in general and blockbusters. I mean, it was. That Matrix, and episode one, all that stuff. It was. And it completely bombed. Yeah. 
I think people, <laughs> I'm not sure people knew what to make of it. So I'm kind of surprised it even got made at all. I think that is admirable. Even if I think, yeah, you could probably lose a quarter of this easily. Um, I think there's enough here that I was like, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, thank God this, this held up. <laughs> uh, that's what I thought of it. Um, I, if we're moving on to my thoughts. Um, yeah, go for it. I don't know. I like parts of it and dislike other parts. Um, I, uh, I felt like some of the jokes landed and maybe a little too many of the jokes didn't land for me personally. Mm -hmm. uh, most of Paul Rubin's stuff didn't land for me. Uh, uh, and it's just not a gag I found very funny. And it just, it just kept happening. Um, <laughs> there's, there's only so far you can go with something like that, I guess. You know, hard, well, hard a, lot, a lot of it, like, some people like fart jokes and some people don't. And I have no judgment on those who do like fart jokes, but um, it's, it's not necessarily my favorite gag. I get it. Uh, and so that's part of it. Um, and I don't know. And so, like, there, there are just times I felt like the movie was trying too hard in a way that you wouldn't think a movie with this cast would need to try so hard. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's other times like it did have some really like like some really clever dialogue, and I was really in, uh, and I was really enjoying what was going on. Um, ben Stiller was a little grating on this movie for me. Uh, That's fair. I, I like Ben Stiller. I'm a fan of Ben Stiller, but and he's done this character before, where he's just like this rageaholic type, mm -hmm. egotistical character. It was just it was just a little too much. I like. Um, he, he was just a little too much in this movie for me, I think. You know, I don't like the sequences with him getting angry at someone over nothing and like getting like, like he comes to work and the, his boss is mean to him. And he's like, Ugh! and like that sequence felt like it went on forever and I didn't find it very funny. And so I'm like, oh, come on, Ben Stiller, you're better than this. But, um, yeah, I don't no, know. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, so, so, the, so stuff like that. Uh, what ultimately, has me in the camp of being a fan of this movie versus not being a fan of this movie, despite the fact that I think some of the jokes, too many of the jokes didn't land, is that I felt like this movie legitimately had a heart. Um, yeah. Which was kind of a surprise watching this. Uh, there's, there's legitimate heart at the end of at this movie where like the main three characters actually go through uh, an emotional journey, not a complex one, but a... Uh, you know, at the end of the movie, there are different people and more likable people, more like whole and and yeah, like I said, like at the end, I, I actually cared about Blue Raja's relationship with his mother, which is I think an achievement <laughs> for this movie. Yeah, and then I, I mean, I remember like moments like uh, I think one of my favorite jokes in this, at least in terms of like like superhero power jokes, I think. Kill Mitchell's uh, Invisible Boy is like one of like I wish I had, I wish I had come up with it kind of jokes um, <laughs> where he, he, he can be he can turn invisible but as long as no one else is watching as long as he's not looking at himself <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just so great but then like there is a moment spoilers I guess for a 25 year old movie um, he does turn invisible and I found it like surprisingly rousing I don't know like I, I, despite everything and maybe against all odds I found that legitimately I was like yeah go go for it yes you did it <laughs> So I know what you mean. There is like, it's not as cynical as you think it would be considering it's kind of like a superhero spoof or kind of like a blue collar riff. Um, you think it'd be a little bit more 
um, mean spirited, but it really does want to be like a uplifting movie. Yeah, that's a good point, especially given that the the actual superhero in the movie turns evil for selfish reasons. Not even turns evil; he just like he just allows. He just you know he he allows his his nemesis to go free. Um, because he's to look good, good. yeah, because he wants to get back in the headlines again. Um, yeah, he's like a he's like a he's like an actual celebrity superhero, (laughs) Um, right? (laughs) In that sense, I gotta work the PR angle. Um, so yeah, no, I'm with you. I I, Janine Garofalo's character has like a legitimate arc, I think. She does Um, too, yeah. I I didn't mention her. It's surprising, she like I feel like she only comes in halfway through the movie and she she was kind of necessary for this movie because. Halfway through, like, you know, you know, Ben Solo is getting grading and, and, you know, there's, I like Hank Azaria and William H. Macy, but like her coming in halfway through and being like one of the main characters actually gives this movie a lift midway through the movie as well, I think. It's a and movie. they kind of know it. Yeah. It's a movie that desperately needs like a female presence. And so like when, when, yeah, when Janine showed the bowler, I guess is her name, um, shows up, you're almost like, ah, yeah, this is the missing, this is the missing ingredient. And it kind of like, Movie kind of takes a boost up as a result, I think. Kind of like right when it's about to kind of get like, okay, I'm getting I'm getting bored a little bit. <laughs> like, is it, it? She comes in like an hour in. You're right. I think it is like literally halfway through. Um, maybe 45 minutes. It kind of just adds like a new dynamic and stuff, and uh, a different um comedic voice. And that kind of takes me to my next point a little bit. It does feel like I think I think Leonard Maltin kind of touched on this a little bit. It does feel like there's competing comedy styles here sometimes and i think sometimes that can kind of make the movie a little disjointed because grapple think... is like a unique voice Kinnear is like a different voice um eddie izzard's a completely different voice so sometimes they're not, they don't always match no and i think that that can be a pro when you do it right and it can be a con when you don't do it right and i think we have on display like good examples of both um you know what i mean like i, I think there are scenes where like they blend the comedy styles together and it works really well. And then I think there's scenes where they blend the comedy styles together and it doesn't work particularly well. I mean, even with like the, the names of the superheroes, like you can kind of feel different thoughts on like superhero uh, comedy. Like you have like Mr. Furious and the Subler and Captain Amazing. Those are all pretty straightforward. Blue Raja is kind of an interesting name. And then like you have a castle of a Frankenstein, which is like a wild. Um, <laughs> that, that was name. a great name for a supervillain though, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it is. I wish, I kind of wish he had more of a Frankenstein look to him, to be honest. It's like maybe like my one note as far as Jeffrey Rush goes. Um, <laughs> he kind of lives in a castle, doesn't he? Maybe that's the Frankenstein part. He lives in a castle and he's a mad scientist. Of course, uh, we've had many conversations about this with, with our horror mm-hmm. podcast like clearly he's named after the the scientist and not yeah. the creature yeah this is this is one where i i would definitively admit that it, frankenstein means the scientist in this one absolutely <laughs> we can seed ground to that yeah and then there's a lot of like disco humor and i don't know if that always matches up with like i mean nothing wrong with this i mean who doesn't love like disco stew and stuff right from the simpsons but like <laughs> that almost feels like maybe like one one color in the palette too many for me. I don't know. Um, I suppose depends on what you like, but I don't know. I may, I maybe would have lost well, some of that. And, and, and I, I hear you. Maybe there's a little too much. And of course, that was part of it, right? Because disco was dead and they had been gone for a while. So even disco feeling out of place, I would argue, is the, um, point. 
is a point. But at the same time, if you didn't find it funny, <laughs> that no, kind of doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, I there's I only think, so much you can do with this. Though. It's like, uh, well, yeah. big big hair and uh, goofy dancing. That's it. Yeah, those yeah. are the two. Those are the two jokes. And then the other joke was like when they when they moved, it was like disco moves, right? So like when yeah. they put out their gun, they kind of did like the staying alive. Yeah, and I think even Move. Jeffrey Rush, when he's going like, everyone to the disco room, and he kind of points like uh, John Travolta in this right. Night Fever pose. Yeah. But it's not it's not bad. Like, it wasn't like, oh, God, kill me. But I was just like, this almost feels like a different movie. Well, that's that's what I mean. Like, sometimes movie was just trying a little too hard. And yeah. like, when, when what I mean, I guess, is like, it, it, it felt like it was trying to be funny instead of actually being funny. Like, they just, like... There was like we need something funny here. Oh, uh, uh, wouldn't it be funny if like we made him disco themed? I don't know. Yeah, I thought of as, like, as to why necessarily. Which well, no, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I, just, I don't know. I, I couldn't write a funny movie, so I'm not here to yeah, tell you, not, tell yeah. you like, what the what, what the secret is. But just what watching this, I'm like, yeah. yeah. Well, well, watching this, I'm like, this, this just that part just like certain sequences just it was just like the joke was going on, and I just didn't. I was like move on move on yeah whenever yeah i should make it clear whenever like we're kind of like critical of a movie uh, there's like this little voice in my head of like a theoretical listener like going like you think you could do better answers no i couldn't that's why i'm <laughs> that's why i'm doing the podcast and not writing screenplays um so uh, yeah i'm fully aware and like you know we're we're just we're just kind of reporting back on what we get that's all. I don't. I don't know how to fix it. Um, maybe it doesn't need to be fixed. Um, but just yeah. I think it goes back to the idea of like it's just a little, a little long. Two hours is a long uh, length for a uh, comedy movie, especially one that kind of has this uh, throwing things to the wall and seeing what sticks quality to it. And to be honest, the fact that its hit rate is as high as it is is kind of miraculous because you can see a version of this where like nothing works and it's like painful <laughs> and like yeah. this embarrassment, and it's not. Um, you know, it, well, it, it, it didn't make a lot of money, but no. you know, outside of that, <laughs> I guess yeah. that's important. But yeah, um, um, yeah. Well, well, also sometimes I think it's okay to like just have like an enjoyable movie that's kind of humorous instead of like being an outright comedy. Like I think that I, I don't know. Sometimes I think that was the better blueprint for this movie. Like just like kind of being a fun movie, where it's just like this silly kind of um, misfit superhero team up. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to be like this all out, like not American Pie style, but as far as like the level of like, you know, there's some like, there's, there's some crudity to it. There's some crudity to it, but I guess what I mean is like you know, American Pie is a well loved comedy, right? Like, yeah, you know, and I felt like this was trying to be on that level, but with superhero gags. Yeah, I think not necessarily with the with the um you know, crudeness, there was some crude jokes, but just with that level. And I felt like that, that was a, a tough task. And I think they would have been better off just, like I said, just trying to be like a, a humorous, fun, you know, kind of goofy movie, but not one that's trying to be in this like outright, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, not, trying to, not trying to be this, this huge, yeah. like comedy, you know what I mean? Is it, yeah, I, I do get what you're saying. Like, it almost doesn't want to quite settle for just being like a funny comedy movie. It kind of wants to, I mean, it, it does kind of go for, I wouldn't say heartwarming, but there is like, it goes for up. I mean, the ending was like reshot because I guess the original ending, which I don't know what it was. Um, people didn't like it too much. And so they kind of made for like a more like 
spirit, uh, you know, uplifting spirit ending. So I think there was like this genuine desire to kind of make you feel good as opposed to like, you know, um, just joke, 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 <laughs> joke factory kind of, um, kind of thing. Uh, and it's funny that you bring up American Pie too. I think that's a good, another good example of like, yeah, there's also like, there's a lot of jokes and a lot of like memorably um, blue jokes, but it does kind of have heart to it. And I don't, people don't always believe me when I say that, then, you know, it's relative to the premise, right? It's a movie about a bunch of guys who don't want to be virgins by the end of high school. So like how much it's relative to that, but there is, a, it, there's kind of like an old fashioned heart to it, despite itself, even though it's also like, Jason Biggs like having sex with like a pie and stuff. Like, you know, it's just not <laughs> it's not a family movie, but like it's not as crude a hundred percent of the time as maybe it could be. I don't know if any of that is helping, but it was more of an observation. You brought it up and I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. I guess so that's my only note is I would even say like it's a weird note, but I'd say stop trying to be so funny and just tell a story with humorous bits in it, you know? Yeah, and I think, I think that would have been um, a more enjoyable movie and a more successful movie. That's just... So, so, so I, I want to be clear, like, your, your thought is, like, it's focusing too much on the jokes instead of letting the jokes come to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Um. Which I think, again, kind of speaks to, like, maybe, like, this clash of different styles. We're almost trying to see kind of what works and um, trying to maybe check all the boxes. Like, there'll be some jokes for dad and some jokes for little uh, teenage... I almost said little Timmy. A little, little teenage Timmy. He's Tim now. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely like, not... Uh, there definitely weren't very many jokes aimed towards a very young audience here. Yeah. No, Which yeah. is fine. Yeah, it's like specifically, yeah, it's specifically kind of like 12, it's like 12 year old humor. Um, <laughs> yeah, so maybe instead of just like kind of like letting it be what it is, because the premise itself, I know we established it with uh, Leonard Maltin's review, but the idea of kind of like this loser set, like an independent contractor type uh, superhero team is solid. And I, I'm very glad that they kind of pulled this from dark horse archives i should uh, mention here a little bit um a little bit of the history in the background uh this was kind of born from a line of independent comics um it's loosely based on something called flaming carrot comics by uh bob burden and the, the flaming carrot there's so much to it I, I you almost need the whole podcast episode all its own but that's not our jurisdiction uh, i will say he is a guy whose head is a uh, uh, well a carrot on fire um just to give you an idea of <laughs> The sensibility okay. of this, Fair and the enough, mystery, yeah. and yeah, and the mystery man is just this, uh, is his superhero team that he forms um, somewhere down the line. So that's 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 the connection, and you know, it's 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 an irreverent co- uh, comic book line, kind of full of um, kind of knowing humor and kind of some offbeat <laughs> sensibility. Kind of what do I expect from a, a underground comic from the eighties and early nineties, <laughs> right? Um, so the Dark Horse, the, the the head of Dark Horse Comics, pitched this directly to Universal. Um, Mike Richardson, publisher of Dark Horse Comics, pitched this in 1997. And it kind of got announced as in development in a block with a whole bunch of other lines. So we're talking about how like uh, 1997 might have been the, the, the pause of superhero cinema. Um, this is maybe the uh, biggest piece of evidence that we have that 
there never really was a pause in terms of production, maybe in terms of figuring out what the audience wants. Uh, we're definitely in a state of transition there from Batman and Robin to like, arguably like X-Men, definitely Spider-Man. By then they had it figured out. Because um, they announced a whole bunch of stuff in some of which we will be getting to eventually and some of which well, we will not be because it never got made. Uh, I want to give you, <laughs> just really quickly, here's some other things that uh, announced along with Mystery Men. Uh, Blade, X-Men, okay. mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, <laughs> Virus. What? Everyone knows Virus. <laughs> Superman Lives. That's an infamous one. I think that's the Nick Cage project. That's the Nick Cage one? Okay. Mm-hmm. The Hulk. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay. Captain, Amer- yeah. Captain America. Good wall to get that one off the ground. Yeah. But. Submariner uh, kind of now exists, sort of. <laughs> we've seen the character, but... Um... Yeah, we've seen the character, but this solo movie the, the feels like a, a, a long possibility at this point. Um, maybe not. Uh, Iron Man. His portrayal in Black Panther 2 did not uh, really lend to a solo movie very fluidly, I don't think. Agreed. Yeah, good performance, but it doesn't seem like they're setting him up for like a spinoff or anything. Not yet, anyway. Uh, uh, this is a joint project. Daredevil and Silver Surfer. What? That, <laughs> that classic pairing? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hellboy. Something, uh, the Green Hornet, and something called Concrete. And those are just some of the uh, uh, lines that were announced. Uh, there were 26 others that were not what? listed. Wow. Yeah. So they were going I guess announcing, announcing things doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, I have to imagine this was not like a Comic-Con style like announcement where like dates and Kevin Feige put with like the hat and stuff. Like this, this is not really what that was. I'm guessing this was just like in a trade paper, like a variety article or something. That's my guess. Yeah, um, it, these things like that, like I think also these days you got to be careful when you announce things because the internet gets excited by them, and so they you, stopped doing that. What do you uh, mean? The plan was always to have Captain America three be in twenty twenty five, and Blade in twenty twenty five. That was always the plan. <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, so some of these got made, some of them didn't. Um, more, more than I thought, to be honest. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm still waiting on that virus movie. Maybe next year. Um, just a couple quick hits, and then we can kind of like uh, jump around the cast a little bit. Um, Danny DeVito was first tabbed to uh, star and direct in this. And Interesting. Of, yeah, I think that I think we got we, we would have gotten a much more cynical movie. I think if that version uh, of it had gotten through, <laughs> it's hard to imagine. I've never actually seen something he's like directed. And so, I mean, while I'm familiar with his humor, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to know exactly what that would look like. Yeah. The script did go to a couple of revisions, so who knows what the uh, well, script would look like at this point. Yeah. And you, you also tell, like, Ben Stiller and Janine Garofalo and all the different comedians this movie got a chance to, like, have their input into it. You can just tell. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was room for, like, improvisation, um, mm-hmm. which was... Not always a bad thing. Sometimes I think when the movies get a little longer and uh, unwieldy, especially some of these um, Judd Apatow movies are like two and a half hours, and it's like we 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 left room for improv. It's like yeah, you should have not. <laughs> 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 so this is almost pushing it, but I think yeah, you can tell like this this feels like a Ben Stiller joint, even though I don't think he um, 
don't think he officially wrote the screenplay, but I think you can tell that there's a couple passes done. Um, uh, anyway, Danny DeVito turned it down uh, over... Whoever who produced the soundtrack was very important to Danny for some reason, and um, that wasn't something he was willing to budge on, and so he left. I'm not okay. really sure what that means. He really yes. hates math mouth is what it means, <laughs> like I think. those hacks, yeah. <laughs> Walking on the sun, what does that mean? <laughs> um, ben Stiller did it, uh, was given the option to write and direct, and he turned it down. He was not originally part of this project. Um, they brought in Kinka Usher, who was the uh, eventual director of this movie. We can talk about him a little bit here in a minute. Um, he was a commercial director, and there are commercials that we'd seen. He... He directed a lot of the uh, Got Milk and the Taco Bell Chihuahua ads from uh, around this time. Okay. So, yeah. You know what? This sounds like backhanded. I don't really mean it that way. You can kind of tell. You can, it's, there's, there's sort of this um, mid to late 90s um, kind of TV sensibility to um, the look of this movie sometimes. I don't mean that. It, it's not in a derogatory sense. I just think that, like, I, when I saw that, I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I, um, I think this movie could have used a... Um... A more experienced hand behind the camera. Agreed. And it won't surprise you. This is the only movie he directed. Although I think that implies a more of a failure than maybe that fact deserves. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that maybe someone who had a couple more under their belt might have maybe kicked this to the next level. Yeah. Or like even sometimes like we put like a joke not working on a director. I mean, on a, on a actor or writer, but sometimes the director, sometimes the way it's edited, um, <laughs> doesn't, you know, the way it's framed makes it not funny. And so, especially with all the competing comedic, comedic styles for this movie, maybe, a maybe a more sure handed director, not necessarily for like even framing scenes, but just like, guiding actors and like getting them all on the same page would have gone a long way. I think it's interesting that you mentioned like the kind of the post-production aspect of it. Cause you're right. I think a joke reading that makes it onto the screen. I mean, that's partially the actor and that's partially the writer, but like also like that's, that's the take that they chose uh, in the editing room. Like, and th- that's on the director <laughs> to, to a large degree uh, as the ultimate, you know, kind of, signatory power on the project so like if there's like a line reading that seems kind of off uh unless you've been working on it for like three hours and you had to move on mm-hmm. with, with an experienced cast like this i find that hard to believe that you'd have too much trouble although um <laughs> when we get to my worst moment i do kind of have some thoughts on a couple people in this cast um okay <laughs> but um not in a bad way but um not everyone is gonna help lift bad material in this some some mm-hmm. are some are not um but you know, I, I, if that's if there's a, if there's a clunky line reading or something that sits too long, that is on you, the director. I, I agree with you. That is that's on you to kind of take the best for one, and that's the best one that you got. Then you messed up and you're filming it. To be honest, in my opinion, again, I cannot. Uh, yeah. I cannot. I cannot direct a movie. <laughs> I'd be very bad at it. But it seems to me um, that, that 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 comes down to directorial issue. Yeah. I agree. So, and that, and maybe that's that's the real problem with this movie is it's not like terribly directed. I, you know, I wasn't watching it like being like, oh, this is awful, like you know, and ha- having a difficult time watching or anything. But I think, and yeah, in retrospect, maybe just 
the more experienced comedic director would have would have been able to um, elevate this movie, like you said. Yeah, it does feel a, a tad unconfident at times, and I think maybe someone who had a couple. I again, I have no suggestions, but um, maybe someone with a couple of a couple a comedy smaller comedy movies under their belt just to kind of get the the rhythms and the reps in and the, the experience. That might have might have gone a long way. Again, I don't think we hate this movie, but I think that kind of turned this from like something that's like pretty good to like legitimately like a late nineties comedy like, classic. I feel like uh, I can't speak. I think we both kind of like this movie, but we're also kind of frustrated with it because you see the blueprint for a better movie while you're watching it. I think I was just so focused on like, oh god, is this gonna like suck? Am I gonna be embarrassed? That I like this, and like that didn't happen. So like that like it was a, a legitimate victory uh, for me. So like, <laughs> but as we're talking, I'm like, yeah, there is stuff. Where I'm like, yeah, that doesn't. <laughs> Even at the time, I was like, again, too long, um, too many competing mm-hmm. styles. I mean, we've <laughs> we've hammered that home, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I was just so focused on like, please don't be like a one star experience, please, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and like that didn't happen. So that was that yeah. was. That was fine with me. Uh, yeah, Janine Garofalo was one of the first people signed on to the movie, and she is the one who brought Ben Seller back on board. She's like, I've talked to the director. Um, I like him. He's cool. Um, come on in, <laughs> please. Um, we need you. And so that's and they kind of all went from there. Um, yeah, I know that I did the, um, the director, I think, took a couple passes on the screenplay. I think he thought it was a little too boring, a little too uh, um, stayed in its current um, iteration so they took a couple passes on it um, the, the actual writer is a guy named Neil Cuthbert just for uh, to kind of get that out there but yeah I, I feel like it feels like a couple of the, uh, the top stars probably took a couple passes at least with their own characters I think um, Ben Silver is pretty hands on with uh, Mr. Furious in particular I wouldn't be surprised if Janine kind of took some agency with the bowler um and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Hank Azaria kind of um, flushed out Blue Raja a little bit because it's such a Hank Azaria role. <laughs> it is. To the point where I wouldn't be surprised if it was him who came up with like the joke behind it. Oh, which, he drops the, frankly, drops the accent. Well, the drop the accent, but also like there was a point where he was like explaining it and it was, seemed like a it was it was some history I'm not overly familiar with, like talking about like the the um, British uh occupation of india oh, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and i'm like i bet this is a really clever joke if i if i thought it no it's kind of a dark thing. yeah because like there's like a, yeah the british occupation of india is like this very contentious thing but um it's kind of a dark premise for like a superhero origin it is which which i enjoyed and like you said it so fast and i was like i thought about stopping or whining it so then i was like i didn't feel like it but um it's like <laughs> yeah. It makes sense if you understand your history or something. I'm like, you know, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we looked up Hank Azaria while we were watching. I watched this with my wife because, mm-hmm. like, she she grew up watching the movie, so she was excited to like see it again. Um, we, <laughs> it, it, the question occurred to me: It's like Hank Azaria has to be like loaded, right? Money wise, right? <laughs> like, with, uh, you've done so much, yeah. So mm-hmm. we looked it up, and again, this is this is just according to us. Uh, <laughs> You know, the always, always reliable celebritynetworth.com, right? <laughs> $90 million net worth, Hank Azaria. Wow. Again, according to celebritynetworth.com, mm-hmm. which you get by uh, the first result uh, by Googling Hank Azaria net worth. So who knows how true <laughs> that is? But I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Million. 
get that Simpsons money. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah, we can Yeah, we can We would just jump. Yeah, we would normally go through everyone uh, one by one and uh, talk about their histories. But there's just everyone in this movie is like someone you've heard of, like all the way down, down to the cameos. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So so I guess I'll kick it over to you. Is there anyone that you want to focus on in particular? We can pick a couple. (laughs) Um, Um, Well, I don't know. Maybe instead of like, you normally go to kind of like their history and stuff like that. Maybe let's just talk about their performances. Like, if I you're, I feel like in general, you're going to be familiar with most of these people. Um, yeah. Who doesn't know Ben Claire, Claire Ferlani would probably be the only one that people might not be familiar with in this movie. But she was yes. someone who had done a lot of stuff in the 90s. Um, yeah. And then she kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. I don't know what happened to her. But um, she, was, she wasn't like a. She, I, <laughs> She wasn't one of those that disappeared because of like Weinstein. Is she like there was a lot of these actresses that I have kind of no idea. Weinstein treatment, and then she was like, "Why did you never hear of them?" Looking at her movie history, I wouldn't be surprised if it. She just made a lot of really bad movies in the early two thousands, and that's when oh, God. She was in Antitrust a couple of years after this. I remember, yeah, I remember that movie being out. Yeah, and then great. she was in this terrible Jackie Chan movie called Medallion, which I oh, Jesus, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, so maybe she just like made some really bad acting choices. Um, stuff like mall rats who's in the rock well that's what i mean like she was in like a lot of like 90s movies mall rats the rock she was in meet joe black she was like the uh she was like the main i mean it was a anthony hopkins brad pitt movie but she was the main like love interest in that movie Um, Uh, in 2017 forlani revealed that she escaped harvey weinstein five times so there you go oh wow okay who you called it damn that's awful what rule of thumb if there's like some 90s actors that like just fell at the face of the earth google them and google that plus harvey weinstein i almost guarantee you like something's gonna pop up that's awful (laughs) yeah Yeah. um fair for lonnie was um lena olin um lena olin was wasted uh, in this movie totally wasted oh yeah um there's a sydney bristow's mom on alias um yeah i thought i was she had a long she has a long acting career too, and the fact sure. that she was in such a nothing role. Like when I first saw her in the beginning, I'm like, "Oh, cool, Leon Olin." Like I was like, "Okay, let's see what she does." And then turns out it was nothing. Um, <laughs> it's like you could have cut her from the movie, and it, it wouldn't have changed anything. And that's that's a waste of a really good actress. In that yeah, it didn't need to be someone of her stature. You know what I mean? No. Um, he's a little bit lower down the uh, call sheet here, but uh, uh, Tom Waits. <laughs> I don't know if you have. I love Tom, Tom Waits. Isn't he great? I love Tom Waits. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I, I'll be honest. I think I like Tom Waits, the musician, a lot more than I do the Tom Waits, the actor. But uh, he does well in his niche kind of role. There he does well here, I thought. There's this kind of run now. There's two movies in a row where you have like a uh, musician from like, eh, like the seven. I'll say the 70s, kind of playing like this grizzled like mentor role. I forget Chris Christopherson and Blade. And now you have a. Uh, Tom Waits and Mystery Men. And this was the third time this season with Iggy Pop and uh, and uh, the Crow. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Uh huh. Good. Good call. Good call. I thought I thought you said Iggy Pop was in this movie. I was like, what? But no. No. <laughs> no. no, 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 no. The Crow. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I really liked. Oh, I will, something I will say is yeah. I'm always. This is stupid, but I still do it every time Tom Waits is in the movie. I'm hoping they give him a musical number. 
I think I, every he, time he should have sang. He should have sang. Yeah, he should have sang. I mean, there's no reason why he couldn't have just sat down on piano and and like after their first defeat, like. Give him, no, I mean it would have been stupid, but I, I always want it. Uh, Jimmy, that wouldn't have been realistic. Okay, trying to tell like a heart. We're trying to tell like a real story here about uh, blue collar people. Uh, speaking of blue collar people, I think uh, William H Macy puts in like an actual performance here. It's it's very it's odd because he's great, but it's also, it's like not really like a comedy performance, which kind of makes it funny to me. <laughs> I I don't know, I. I really like William H. Macy in this movie. I like William H. Macy in everything. But yeah. here's the thing. William H. Macy was the one person in the movie who wasn't trying to be funny. He was just funny. Like, he just put in a performance, and he let the jokes land where they were jokes, and he let the sincere moments land where they, where they were sincere. And I feel like that's kind of what you needed. You didn't need Ben Stiller, like, putting his face in front of the camera going, like, <laughs> The roof. The roof is on fire. Even though that part I kind of thought was funny. But, you know, I mean, like, it, was just, <laughs> yeah, sure. it was just too much of that. Whereas William H. Macy, he was just like playing this ridiculous character who's really good with the shovel and turned himself into a superhero. And it didn't need him like hamming up for the, for the camera. He, I mean, right. he, he has this, this voice for it, which kind of makes it hammy in general. But like, you just, like you said, you just put in a performance and um it's funny i don't know i i I think i think william h macy was the one guy who who got what this movie should have been i completely agree and uh, yeah you almost wonder we're talking about like what if this one just focused like not so much on being funny but kind of like just letting the jokes come to you you almost want we talked about like in the uh multiverse of uh mystery men movies like there's probably like a more cynical version of it somewhere out there if like DeVito had uh, gotten his hands on it, I almost wonder what, what if like a what if this was like a drier comedy? I think that's may, maybe what you're trying to like get. At. If it's not going for broad, it's just kind of going for like simple and dry. I think I don't know if it would have worked so much if everyone was doing like an OMH Macy performance, but I'd be curious to see what that version looked like because Garofalo is sort of on that track too. She's not. She's never been a big like. She doesn't like. It's not like a big muggy kind of. Um, comedic performer she's also very like dry and like a little sarcastic and um you wonder if everyone else is on that level um what the movie would look like and when ben tilly is being dry and sarcastic in this movie i think it works better as well he's so much um, better at that than the big stuff too like consistently yeah. when ben Stiller plays in every man he's great <laughs> right in I my agree. Opinion. and so like there's, there's a point in this movie where like his character like gets talked to by the his the love interest which mm-hmm which I didn't necessarily buy their connection, but that's a different issue. Um, sure. And and she's like, just be yourself. And so he starts just being himself and try, stops trying to make himself angry all the time. And he's a lot more enjoyable in that role. And, and in the last third of this movie, Ben Stiller's a lot better than the first two acts, I thought. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ben Stiller is one of those who's like, I... I'm a fan of him, but like I don't often go see his movies. I think sometimes, I mean, I think of stuff like, um, and I think he's also okay when he plays like Clueless. Um, I like him. He's surprisingly one of the only things I like in the Tropic Thunder, a movie that I've always been really disappointed by. Um, him and RDJ, I guess. I like, I like both of them. But like there, he's just kind of playing like empty headed Clueless, and he's great at that too. But um, mm-hmm. when I think of like a good, um, it's been years since I've seen it, so maybe this is a bad example. But like I think about his character, and there's something about Mary where he's just like a lovable loser. 
He's great at that. I agree. Like, rage I agree. monster stuff like uh, like dodgeball and stuff. I, I, I he loses me a little bit. I actually like him in dodgeball, but I think it's because he's not the main character in dodgeball. That helps. He's he's yeah. He's just a ridiculous like rival, and so I think the fact that you don't like his character is okay in dodgeball. Where here, sure. not liking his character is grating because even that's the point. He's still the main character with the most screen time, and in a group of what's supposed to be lovable loser he is not lovable correct um yeah and that, and that yeah he man that go, that kind of goes into like maybe like a more experienced director um i could see if this is like your first movie and like ben stiller's your star and like he's helping with the script and stuff like maybe you feel like it's not your place to rein him in as opposed to like someone who's been around a little bit maybe feels like he has an agency to like collaborate and like tone it a little bit um that could be something at play don't know i don't, I don't really know what the dynamic was on set but i wouldn't be surprised if there's something like that going on and again yeah, there, there are much worse people that could like take over <laughs> comedically right i mean yeah I, I, no, I was, I agree. it's gonna be like a sandler joint or something like i, you know, I, like, <laughs> I, I like sandler but like when he takes over he takes over and like it, yeah it's all about him agreed agreed um, yeah this doesn't Ben as a Adam Sandler movie, I could see that <laughs> happening, and it would have been a lot more juvenile. Yeah, I mean, there wouldn't be just one farting character. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, we already talked about Paul Rubens, who I like, and you know, rest in peace and stuff. But the, the character, although yeah. I will say, he is the only one who has like a palpable. He has like the most useful superpower. Um, he does. He does. It's, it's he'd be my and, first draft pick if I had to like select people for like my team, ironically. Well, and something I'll say is I don't even think Paul Rubens was terrible in this movie. Like there's exactly a running gag. Yeah. And there's a running gag where he's like always hitting on the bowler, Gene Garoppolo's character. Mm-hmm. And like she's just like and they're like legitimate friends, but like she's like not a million years. Right. And it's, <laughs> it's a gag that works for me. Um because every time he's just like he like they make it work because He's so like repulsive in this role um, that yeah. like you, you you don't necessarily like blame her for being like that. I mean, his, but, uh, he has like he has like zits and shit on his face. Like, <laughs> yeah, not... so you're like you're like okay, that's fair. And he's not even like mean spirited about it. Like he's just like all oh. he, like, oh, he takes it. In stride. <laughs> he takes it in stride. Um, and so it's he he's actually not bad in this when he's given decent stuff to do. I just the the premise behind his character and how often they focus on it is just. Not something I found particularly entertaining. Yeah, so there's kind of nowhere else to go. Like once it's like, hey, his farts knock people out. Like that is that's kind yeah. of that's that's the extent of it. There's nothing else really to to do with it. I feel I feel like if if you did want to like if you wanted to give someone a, like a decent impression of this movie, you just show them that final sequence because like there's legitimately like heartwarming and funny parts, like you said, when the invisible boy is able to be invisible, and then there's like awkward parts where like he does an aim and fire with like his farts and knocks people out and it's just like not mm-hmm. very funny or like some really like like the clothes shrinking part like that gag didn't work for me either oh, maybe yeah. that was that yeah, was a, yeah, the yeah. directing but then those other parts like that was the only time like the mr furious thing was actually kind of funny like when it started working he actually defeated the villain you know what i mean like so or like there's a lot of good one-liners like all right now we're done i'm going to med school or whatever she <laughs> oh, said. Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, I feel like that final sequence, like, shows all the good and bad in this movie in, like, a good, like, 10-minute segment. No, I think that's really astute. Um, 
Yeah, there's a couple other people I want to talk about, and then we can um, t- uh, jump into like superlatives and stuff. But kind of along those lines, um, I found the boulders kind of like talking to like her dead dad to like the in the bowling ball. It's such like a macabre idea, but I think Garofalo kind of plays it like an actual. She plays them like actual scenes, and again, I think that's what kind of makes it strangely nice. <laughs> um, she plays it like an actual character, kind of to your point, kind of in the uh, Macy style. It's one of the most memorable parts. It's one of the most memorable running things in the movie, I thought. And it's such a weird idea. Um, I really like that. Well, in one instinct, they were writing on, I think, which not everyone would have had those instincts. We never hear the dad's point of view. How often, yes. like, will will you'll you'll hear both sides and other characters react? Like, that's weird. But like, because <laughs> you can hear you can hear like both parts of it. Like, you don't think it's that weird. Um, but here we only hear her side of it, so we are in the we are in the shoes of everyone around her. Yeah, Garofalo is one of those people that, like, man, her run in the '90s was interesting, and I know she's kind of fallen off a little bit. But like, when she was good, she was really good. Um, she's like one of my favorite uh, comedians from the '90s because she just kind of has that again that dry sensibility. Um, <laughs> it was it was a treat to see her in this. Um, yeah, she was really good in this. I thought. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, remember when she was on 24 and it was really awkward? Yeah. And that's why I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, she's, and it wasn't like a comedic role either. I think she was just playing like an analyst, right? Like, it was yeah. Like a, it was like yeah, a was, O'Brien type role. Right. <laughs> and she was just like, it was, she was just kind of boring in that show. I don't know. Um, yeah. It was a weird run. I don't know why mm-hmm. they, I'm not sure why they did that. Um, uh, Greg Kinnear was great in this movie. Oh my god! Um, you know, yeah, he is great in this. He's and I, he's not in it that much after like the, maybe the first half hour. And I, I don't know. It, I, I, on one hand, like having someone like Greg Kinnear be in your movie just a little bit, kind of like spice it up, is is good. But at the same time, I, I, I kind of wanted more. I want a little bit more Greg Kinnear in this movie. Yeah, it's hard because, like, obviously, like, I want more. Although I think that would step on. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself here for superlatives, but um, the way he exits this uh, movie is fantastic, and um, mm-hmm. I, it's one of the it's one of the times in this movie I genuinely cackled. I that <laughs> is it's, it's great. We'll talk about it in a second. Not to give anything away. Um, yeah, I think it's because obviously, like, cap. Uh, Captain Amazing, yeah, Captain Amazing. It's clearly like this um, takedown of um, Superman, right? That's like the, it's like a riff yeah. on Superman. It's it's when this movie gets the most acidic, I think, and it's interesting that they use it on this character because yeah, he is like he's like a celebrity superhero. He has like he's like a public relations person. Like yeah, he he, he advocates yes. he he advocates for like the release of like a dangerous criminal so he can go take him down. This is like. A, it's a little ahead of its time, I think, at least in terms of the movies go. I mean, I'm sure there have been like kind of underground comics that are like very sarcastic and brutal parodies of Superman. But like in the movies, this is pretty, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty bitter portrayal. I thought it was really interesting. And I think he plays it so perfectly because he's just like this good old fashioned American man kind of look to him. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, well, and I also think his character is where they they get the most mileage out of the superhero gags. You know, like there's a scene where like they're they're all sitting in the cafe, and Ben Stiller's character is like, you know, I'm pretty sure that 
uh, Captain Fantastic is the same person as whoever his alter ego was. I think it's um, Lance Hunt. I think it's Lance Stanley. Hunt, which is a very comic book name. And yeah. William H. Macy is like, no, they wear glasses. You just take <laughs> them off. But then you wouldn't be able to see. You can't buy crime if you can't see. I mean, it's, it's a great little exchange, but like, it, it's. it's no, but, and I think, because all these other characters are so outlandish, I feel like they, can, they can't really get a lot of mileage out of being a superhero parody because the characters are so weird. Um, and it, it, a lot of this movie, I feel like it's just parody of movies in general, not specifically superhero movies, mm-hmm. which, which maybe part of that is because there hadn't been very many superhero movies before this. You know, I mean, this movie had come out in 2020 instead of 1998 there would have been a whole wealth of superhero movies to parody. But when this movie came out, there was Batman and Superman pretty much. Yeah. I mean, every other superhero movie. Yeah. yeah. But every other, yeah. Every other superhero movie had mostly been a commercial failure. Mm -hmm. Um, So there wasn't, there wasn't that much to draw from to, to, to parody. And so they end up drawing, I think, you know, they have the, the montage where they have training from the Shrike. But that's like, oh, um, yeah. that's just like generic, like, like Rocky. action. You're <laughs> yeah. like Rocky and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like, and so I feel like the, the Lance Hunt stuff is, and the Captain Mason stuff is really the only time they get to actually like parody superhero movies and superheroes yeah, in yeah, general. You're right. You're right. You've seen it and I haven't. So uh, I guess you can cut this if I'm, if I'm wrong. Is there any line to be drawn between uh, Captain Amazing and like his portrayal here and like something like The Boys, which is like a very like, cynical take on real world superheroes um yes i i think there's a line to be drawn uh of course the boys is based off a comic too right and, and you know this isn't like the, the idea of like kind of cynical takes on on superheroes being i think i don't know if this was the first to do it but i think Watchmen is kind of the most famous one to really like oh, critique sure you know, the superheroes and try to make it a semi, you know, if let them be kind of celebrities and stuff like that. And there's been stuff since Watchmen. This is probably the first real on-screen one we've seen like it though. And I definitely think you can draw, you can definitely draw a parallel from Captain Amazing to uh, Homelander and, and the boys. But like I, one, one main difference would be here, Captain Amazing is not necessarily a terrible person. He just, he's been a hero too long. And he's, become egotistical and starts caring more about his own ego and image than safety of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Homelander is just a fucking psychopath. <laughs> I see. Uh, he's Superman is Superman, which is a huge freaking psychopath, uh, which is a terrifying concept. Yeah, um, I'm, I might need to watch this show. It's disgusting. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just letting you know. I mean, I, I enjoy the show, it's but it fun, is very it's not a fun. Watch. It, and it's funny. Like I do think, like they, there's a lot of gross humor in it. I see. Um, but I'm just, I'm just warning you. Like <laughs> I enjoy the show. I haven't, I'm, I haven't finished it. In part because, like, my wife and I are too busy to watch a lot of things these days. And we sat down and watched like the season three premiere. And it was some of the most disgusting shit we'd ever seen. It was funny. It was kind of funny, but it was just kind of like being a break. Well, it wasn't even that. It's just like it's harder for me to like convince her to sit down and watch with me at this point just because she's like i get it oh. i get it yeah. i get it yeah i know i can understand <laughs> um <laughs> and and 
like that's like because like part of the thing is like it's it's kind of like a what if superheroes existed but not a, in a literal way as far as like realism goes but as far as like a human way and basically like the show is like well they do a lot of weird sex things ah gotcha right i mean if superheroes were real you'd have some weird ass sex shit <laughs> and there'd be a whole like media presence to it you know like and so ah. uh and so <laughs> you you have um you know, you have like the superheroes will do things, but like only like they will have to tell their media people first, and the media people will frame stuff. And then uh, you have like a whole circuit of like minor superheroes who try to make it big. You know what I mean? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, that's not, that's it's, it's a, that sounds you know, interesting. I, yeah, yeah, I, I I do legitimately like it. Um, I'm just warning you. There's <laughs> a lot you. of blood and there's a lot of weird sex stuff. Got it. Well, you know. We used to call that Game of Thrones. No. <laughs> um, yeah, and then really quickly, and then we can jump into superlatives unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Uh, I thought Kellen Mitchell was fantastic. In, uh, you were. Which, Shock, shocking how young he is. Be, yeah, well, I uh, always loved Keenan and Kel, but I, I don't know if I've ever considered Kel Mitchell to be like a heavyweight comedian. Um, sure, sure, sure. That's fair. Um, but it's always shocking when you see like these people who are like really really young but like they're so comfortable and like front of the camera and like being goofy and stuff like it's 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 weird like it's impressive and he's great but like it's almost like scary when like kids are really good at acting in comedy <laughs> that's, that's yeah. all <laughs> no yeah it, i agree he's there um wes duty i don't know yeah he was he was in this movie <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I loved him in this movie. I think um, he kind of uh, kind of comes in halfway through as a bit of a ringer, and I don't know if he succeeds in that. The character kind of reminds me. This is kind. Of, I'm glad you brought him up because the Sphinx kind of like like turns things around on people, right? Like he'll ask like questions. It's like if you uh, if uh, it's just, uh, if you don't uh, if you don't harness your fear, fear will harness you and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of this semi, I think semi obscure uh, SNL uh, sketch from like the 90s. Uh, Jimmy Fallon kind of plays like the ghost of uh, <laughs> John Lennon, and um, a bunch of kids go into a graveyard and like kind of conjure him up by accident and they ask him questions and he's kind of like repeats the questions back to them, mm -hmm. uh, but like reversed. And I wish I had the, uh, I wish I had like a transcript or something in front of me just going to give you an idea of what I'm talking Maybe about. You can if you can find it, you can play it here. Learn to hide your strikes from your opponents and you more easily strike his hide. Oh my God, it's really you! I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's you thinking it's me. Maybe I'm you. Well, I, I can't believe it's John Lennon. You're, you're so wise. Or maybe I'm stupid. John, you have to tell us what's heaven like. What isn't it like? It's a good premise, although it is like the only joke with the Sphinx, so it does wear a little thin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and also, like, he's the only one of them with, like, legitimate superpowers, and he's just, like... Yeah, help out. <laughs> yeah, like, like, why isn't he going on the mission with them? You know what I mean? Which, whatever. Not, not, not his place. Not his, not place. his place, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Um, they must do it themselves. <laughs> or themselves will be done fine. To, to you. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, th I, think, I think when he gets introduced and they start, like, the training montage is when you talk about the movie being a little too long. Mm -hmm. That's where that's also partially like kind of where you're starting to feel it a little bit, you know. Uh, agreed, agreed. Yeah, that stuff could all go, um, or at least be uh, streamlined a little bit. 
Are we ready to get out some awards, Jimmy? Uh, yeah, let's let's do it. All right, this is this is kind of how we wind down the episode a little bit. Uh, we give out some superlatives, some awards, uh, mostly because uh, it's better to give than to receive. But also, it's a way to capture topics we might not talk about in the general discussion. Um, yeah, only a few. Um, why don't we start with <laughs> moment you wouldn't see today? Why don't we start with a fun one? Uh, would you like me to go first, or yeah, you can go. You can go first for this one. Dane Cook in a cameo as the Waffler. He's like a little superhero audition scene, and uh, Dane Cook pops up. I am the Waffler. With my griddle of justice, I bash the enemy in the head, or I burn them like so. Oh, ah. I don't think that would be happening now. Not th- not out of he's canceled, just out of his time has passed. Um, I think. Yeah, probably. I don't know even what the last thing. His, his time has passed, but his time wasn't really that long to begin with. Um, no, he's one of those like I'm like a, like I can't like pretend like I didn't like him because I was very vocally like a fan, but it is kind of embarrassing to look back. <laughs> Just like oh God, why did I think this was funny? He had some funny stuff, but like I, the problem is like if you listen to him in small doses, like oh yeah, this is funny, but when you listen to the whole stand up, you're like oh you do one thing, okay. Yeah, you scream things, and like his, his albums could get kind of long. I feel like one of them was like eighty minutes. It's like a double album. It's like, bro, you're not Richard Pryor. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like eighty minutes. Well, that. Well, and, and Jesus, like, right. Well, and of course, part of his like part of his his gimmick was like he would drag on stories. He just like raising the his voice the whole time, and so like the length of his like his bits was part of his his act. But that's also part of why I think he fell off so quickly. Like. Yeah, because like he's, I think he's, a good, he's a good intro into like getting into comedy, but I think you have to move past him at a certain point. I think. Yeah, that's, that's kind of anyway. That stood out to me. It's like, oh yeah, no, if they were doing this now, he would not warrant a cameo. I mean, I obviously know he was like also up and coming here, so I don't think people were like, "Whoa, that's Dane Cook." He's got like a funny up and comer, but mm-hmm. that that just helped, that just doubles my point. He's no longer an up and comer and no longer <laughs> funny. So, um, <laughs> so there you go. That stood out to me as something you wouldn't see now. Yeah, uh, this was there's a lot of choices for this one. Uh, a lot of the jokes yeah. are just very nineties, yeah, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But like the the disco thing, like <laughs> yeah. disco died in the eighties. Disco jokes died in the nineties. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's just like the, the one thing that dates this movie more than anything else is all those disco jokes. I don't even necessarily dislike them, but you just you wouldn't see that again, I don't think. Uh, uh, agreed. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, you're right. It's to the point now where I think making like disco jokes and like, you know, knowingly doing like hacky disco jokes is like hack now. Like commenting on how hacky it is is hacky. Like, I don't yeah. know, somehow it's like it's it, the snake is eating its own tail a little bit. A little bit. But I just mostly feel like disco. Like even like like disco jokes have just completely disappeared from our cultural, you know. Yeah. From from our culture, like we just don't even do it anymore because disco's it's so, dead. It's so in the past now. It's so in the past now. Yeah, I mean, it's like things are coming back. Eighty styles are coming back. People are probably liking some disco songs, but disco isn't coming back. You know, it, disco is such yeah. a specific thing, and it only lasted like two or three years, really. Like when you look at like, um, when you look at disco, like the musical effect disco had lasted beyond it, but disco as like a craze really only lasted a couple of years. 
that's fair and you know i think also got like market correct because it's always going to be like a audience for like young people who want to go out and dance and like forget about the real world but like dance music just kind of kept evolving like there's no need to go back to there's no need for disco revival they have house music or edm i mean i don't like any of that stuff it sucks but like well and like i said disco i mean like disco had influence to, to the musical landscape Absolutely. And you'll still hear that, that disco influence in some songs these days, you know, like uh, Bruno Mars, I think, is very heavily influenced by disco. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good I point. Mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a huge Bruno Mars fan, so I couldn't be mistaken. But like, it's just like, when, when I listen to like 24 Carry or like... Yeah. Know. No, I'm with uh, you. No, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. So it's not that like yes. disco is like... I'm not saying... But like it's just now it's just an influence now it's just like part of music it's not it's not a whole thing unto itself like it was in the late 70s and it's never going to be again i don't think and to the and to the point where like now the only people who really remember disco just aren't making aren't making movies you know right yeah this Dane cook is sort of the disco of comedy then i guess you <laughs> the property it has its influence had a couple years there and uh, don't need to go back to it. And now everyone hates it who pretended <laughs> yeah. liked it once. Yeah. yeah I, I, mean, know, I, disco... never listened, I never listened to disco. No. Yeah. Disco <laughs> got this terrible reputation despite being super popular for so long. And admittedly, I don't, I'm not a big fan of disco, but yeah, it's uh, not great. There's a couple of disco songs I like, but it's, um, just, it's just of its time is the thing. Yeah. I think. Yeah. The BGs and stuff are, are, are all right. Um, I don't know I mean, how I'll, disco. I don't know how discoy they really are. I know, like, sorry, this becomes a disco podcast now. But uh, <laughs> um, um, yeah, the disco adjacent acts, I think, were are pretty interesting. But like the pure, well, the pure ones are kind of not for me. Right. Well, and of course, like it also came like all these all these artists from the sixties who were like kind of starting to fade from prominence decided to try to hitch on the uh, disco right. bandwagon a little bit to. To varying degrees of success. For sure. No. It's kind of an interesting conversation. Maybe we should work more music into this. I know that's something we've been talking about behind the scenes more, but this is kind of an interesting conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess stay tuned. Um, best use of superpowers. Jimmy, what do you got? A lot to choose from here. Lots of, almost too much. Uh, almost <laughs> yeah. too much to choose from. Um, I forgot about this one. Give me a second. Let me think. That's okay. I can also go if you want. I don't care. Yeah, you you go, you go first, and then and then I'll, I'll think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I already talked about it. Um. Again, lots to choose from, but I think again, um, you would think it's Invisible Boy turning invisible. I'm invisible. I really do have superpowers. Can you see me? Yes. Oh yeah. Um. I already talked about it. I found it kind of genuinely moving. Um. Either makes me a mark, or that means that the movie is sneakily more successful than uh, maybe um, people think. Um, I do think I think it works in spite of it's sort of like the obvious button to the character, right? Again, he's a invis- right. he's a guy who can turn invisible as long as no one's looking at him. And so the obvious turn is for him to actually turn invisible at some point. Like it's so obvious mm-hmm. that you almost wonder if they had if this movie was done now, they'd find some sort of like twist to it. But I think. I- I think again, Kill Mitchell plays it so straight and so like again, he has like this like goofy, like dumb kid quality that like, I think made him so good on like 
all that. Keenan and Kellen like good burger. And he can't transfer that over here. He's just like a sweet kid. So it's nice to see him triumph over this thing that I don't think anyone believed he could do. And then he buttoned it with like the, hey, I'm invisible. Can you see me? Uh, it was like, yeah, we can <laughs> put some clothes on. <laughs> it's a great joke. It was it ran to death in the trailers. Like that was like the button to the trailers on the TV and which, stuff. Which is unfortunate because yeah. it is, even, if, even though it is obvious, it's still like, it's better to leave the audience wondering, right? Because that's the whole thing, right? Like, oh, can you really turn invisible? And you're like, well, probably, but you're still not sure, except unless you saw one of the 10,000 trailers for this movie. And then you're like, right. yeah, I know how this, I know exactly. I've already seen where the scene, this, this joke goes. Yeah. So. yeah but, it, but all that to be, all that said, it is like, it's a nice, it's, there's a nice little comedy um, ingenuity there of like, you know, you do something nice and then you kind of bring it back down with a joke. And yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And I think Kel does it perfectly. That's yeah. my best, that's my best use of superpowers. I, I, I figure out mine. Uh, and mine is with the shoveler, actually. Maybe if you didn't smack me in the face with the shovel every time we went out, All right, have some now, more wins to brag about. I'm sorry about that. I just have a tendency to lose my concentration when I've got a salad fork stuck in my rear end. Of course, uh, the, whole, yeah. the whole running gag is like, a shovel isn't a superhero, right? Like, you really go with a <laughs> shovel, that'd make you a superhero, right? Uh, and then, of course, the, the Shrike is like, what weapon do you have? He's like, oh, just a shovel. No, you also have your hands, and your fists, and feet, you know. <laughs> and then so there's that that one sequence where the shoveler takes a takes the whole disco mafia on his own and kicks their ass with a shovel. And that was my favorite use of superpower, just like seeing him actually use a shovel as a um, as a as a superhero weapon. I like it. Yeah, again, a lovable loser who like triumphs. That's William H. Macy um, all mm-hmm. over. It's a great role for him. Yeah, that's a great choice. Um, Except in Fargo, where he's a <laughs> hateable loser who. Yeah, that's, that's his but... other. Yeah, that's his other. <laughs> I just always think about him in the Boogie Nights, blowing his brains out, which is like a, not like a nice image, but yeah. it's certainly the most memorable cut to like. I think it goes like 1980. Like mm-hmm. the party's over. Yeah, kind of disco and stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, Boogie Nights is great. It it really well, is. It, yeah, it's. Uh, let's see. Uh, best line. Uh, why don't you go first on this one? Okay. Yeah. So there's actually a lot to choose from because there was some witty dialogue in this movie. Um, uh, agreed. And a lot I did consider a lot, but one line took out more than everything else. And again, this is something that was in the trailers a lot, but I had forgotten about it. And it comes from maybe your favorite scene, I'm not sure, with uh, Kel Mitchell turning invisible and then, you know, he takes off his clothes because he doesn't want to be seen and he's like, hey, I'm invisible, can you see me? And everybody turns around and see him naked. And they're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, and Janine Ruffalo goes, uh, maybe you should put some shorts on or something if you want to keep fighting evil today. Maybe you should put some shorts on or something if you want to keep fighting evil today. <laughs> and it's just... It's just perfect, like little deadpan buttons to that that uh, comedic scene, and that, that ended up being my favorite, uh, my favorite line. Yeah, and that's Janine. That's perfect. Yeah. like it's a perfect line read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I went with the, you're talking about um, West Study and the and the Sphinx earlier, and they kind of describe him a lot before you ever see him. And uh, this is an exchange between Ben Stiller and Hank Azaria. Um, because Blue Raja is like, man, I think we need to kick this over to the Sphinx so he can teach us his ways. And Ben still never heard of him, so he goes like, "What's his power?" He goes, "Well, he's terribly mysterious." 
And so I was like, that's his power? He's mysterious? It's like, well, uh, terribly mysterious, actually. <laughs> it's like, bait, bait. There's the Sphinx, of course. What? The Sphinx. I know this guy. Big crime fighter from down south. Big league hitter down there. What's his power? Well, he's got to be mysterious. That's it? That's his power? He's mysterious? Well, he's got be mysterious. Yes, perfect. That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was good. That's an example. Ben um, Stiller's rage used right, this kind of incredulity, and then mm-hmm. Mika Zaria plays it perfectly straight. Like, not terribly serious, actually. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, great. <laughs> yeah, I did. You know, I did. I did really enjoy those scenes where it was just the three of them sitting in the booth at their mm-hmm. favorite diner, just like talking. Um, <laughs> those those are some of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, where think- like yeah. You can almost imagine like a TV series version of Mystery Men that's kind of centered around them, like hanging out at the at the diner a little. Well, there's kind of a, a Seinfeld quality to it, right? Yeah. Yes. There's kind of kibitzing about like nothing really. <laughs> so I wonder if that was like kind of an influence because Seinfeld had ended its run by the time this it got going. So I wonder if there was some some sensibility transferred over. I don't know. Yeah. Worst moment. Uh, I think since I, I, I went first twice, I think I'll give you okay. the opportunity to go f- my, first twice. My so worst moment. My worst moment. This, this, this kind of goes where like, I, this is an example where I felt like the movie was trying too hard to be funny instead of just actually just being funny. And like this is the, the near the sequence was when they're breaking into free Captain Fantastic, like right before they kill him on accident. Uh, like they have, you know, the the other heroes like standing guard in case, uh, like backup in case we need help. And Invisible Boy and the Spleen, uh, of course, Paul Rubin's art character, are, are standing <laughs> guard when a skunk walks up to them. I'm like, oh, don't move because you don't want it to spray, scared and spray. And the, the, the skunk starts like humping the Spleen, I guess, because oh, he's God, so bad. Right. And then like, it, it, and it tries to like, amp the joke up by like Invisible Boy just goes like oh just go with it and then like they're standing in front of like the big moon and it has a big like orchestrational swell like a romantic orchestration as like the, the skunk is humping the spleen and it's just like oh this should have been cut from the movie like this isn't funny <laughs> and you're just you're just trying too hard to be funny at this point um, and I don't know. That's my worst moment. Yeah, that's that's pretty lousy. And again, it's it, it's juvenile. It's like, ah, oh, it's being humped. Yeah, that's it's great stuff. I'm with you there. My worst moment. So we gotta go back to Janine. We always we just kind of talked about like a good line reading from her. And it's good material, and it's in her voice. Here's the thing about Janine. Love her to death. Um, she will not help you in, in any circumstances with, like, crappy material. <laughs> um, she's not going to punch <laughs> it up. She is not going to alter it. She is not going to make it sing. She's just going to do it, and it's going to sit there. And that's maybe her fatal flaw, maybe. I, I kind of admire it, but I suppose that can... Anyway, this is all leading to um, my least favorite line in the whole movie comes from her. I don't even remember the context. I just wrote it down in the notes app. Um, she goes, that's a wedgie uh, he won't soon forget. Now that's a wedgie she won't soon forget. 
<laughs> it's just so uh, like, it's yeah. just so like bad sitcom cut to cut the ad break kind of sensibility and it's so wrong for her and it's so it's just not it's not funny it's not anything <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember that line i think i kind of do i think it's when like they i don't know yeah. i don't remember that line i remember that line but i don't remember when she says it and yeah it's a terrible line yeah and like yeah i think it speaks to um yeah it's just like, so bad i'm kind of laughing at it right now yeah like it's just so like because it, it it struck me as we were watching this, um, and when we were talking about it, like this doesn't this has a real lack of like that just happened kind of humor because like that wasn't really in vogue yet, especially not in superhero movies. But this is the closest it gets to something like that. I'm like, oh, that's gonna that that's gonna hurt, or like he's gonna need a band aid in the morning. It's that kind of it's that kind of level of humor. And it's just so wrong. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? And also, just the, the the line itself, like that's a wedgie he won't soon forget, like. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Like, I, I guess it was a really bad wedgie, but like, I, I, I don't know. All the there's I no, have. yeah, there's no pun there. It's just like, no, it's just commentary. It, it, on it's a commentary, joke. but not it's even a funny explain- commentary. It's just like, he just, just ex- got wedgie. Yeah, it's just explaining the joke that we already yeah. saw. <laughs> yeah. And she does, and she doesn't, you know, I think some people might have tried to like, Make it something just so like it's not embarrassing. Not Janine Garofalo. She just that there it is. Yep, there's there's the bad line you gave me, <laughs> which I kind of admire, but I think it can be a little limiting sometimes. <laughs> but um, she does a lot of other good things in this too, so it's all good. But not not on that one. Yeah. Well, from the worst moment to the best. Well, I guess that's me. Yeah. Um, it's it's the whole toggle switch um sequence. That leads to Captain Amazing getting fried in like a really gruesome manner. I've always wanted to do that. What's next? Uh, I just told you, flip the second toggle. Again? What do you mean? Flip the toggle twice? No, 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 don't, don't do that. Just flip it again now, one time. Flip it. Does he understand what I'm asking? Hold on a second. Captain, exactly how many toggle flips in Toto are involved in this entire procedure? I just, it's... Seven. So I had forgotten about this entirely, and it's so unexpected. And I love the whole back and forth because, again, Captain Amazing, he's like strapped down to a chair, and he's trying to explain like this very specific um, sequence, uh, uh, like like flips and switches that they have to hit in order to like turn off the machine. And it's almost like this Larry David esque like curb your enthusiasm, like Seinfeld kind of like a set of clarifying questions that um, just burns time. So it's like, I need you to flip the switch twice. It's like, is that including the one from before? It's like, no, no, just once. It's like, I don't, I don't know if he's understanding my question. Like how many times in total are we flipping the toggle switch? And he's like, <laughs> and then they run out <laughs> of time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. That, that's a great sequence. And of course, that also had, I think all the best performers in this movie. I mean, Jeffrey Rush does a really good job, but, He's great. Um, we haven't talked about him much, but he does, he does yeah. a great job with this. He does a great job with his like kind of weird, over-the-top portrayal of Captain Over Frankenstein that's very fitting for this movie. But like, you have Greg Kinnear being an asshole. You have like <laughs> Ben Stiller and Gene Garofalo being like in, in like kind of a bad mood because it's all like high stakes. And then you have Hank Azira and William H. Macy being like in awe of seeing their hero. And William H. Macy like trying to like put glasses <laughs> up to his face to like like see if it's Lance Hunt or not. And, yeah. 
there's there's a lot going on that that scene, but it all works because it's been set up prior to it. I mean, that is the best scene in the movie. I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it makes. And Caraffalo, I think, really sings in this too. Cause she's like, yeah. she gets hung up on like the phrasing. She's like, hold on, everyone, stop. You phrased the question wrong. Like, can say it again? Is this including <laughs> like the switch that we might have done by accident? And Captain America, <laughs> just I almost said, I said Captain America. Captain Amazing is like, just flip it, you moron. She goes, hold on, I am not a moron. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's all, it's great. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like smiling just now, like thinking about it. So, and then it ends with the gruesome death. So there you go. <laughs> Well, and unexpected a little bit too, but in a way that is fitting for the movie because, you know, they're kind of like clumsy loser type characters. Um, Mm -hmm. And it also makes me wonder if like the the alternate ending that audiences didn't like, maybe it didn't have such an uplifting ending. You know, maybe like... I have to imagine maybe something more cynical. Something a little more cynical, which here that cynicism works in part because Captain... Amazing is such a douchebag character. Not that he deserved what he got, but you're not feeling that bad. But like, mm-hmm. you, you know, still letting our, our heroes triumph at the end, I think was the right choice to the end of this movie. Anyway, I, uh, I remember remembering the bowler uh, checking his pulse when he didn't make it, which is like a, <laughs> which is like a that's like a Simpsons joke. Okay, is it okay? <laughs> Which is like, but it's, it's 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 good here. I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. It, it, it works. No, no, no. That that, that was a, you're right because he's like this burnt crisp of a guy. But at the same time, like he's a superhero. Maybe uh, yeah, maybe maybe he can recover it. Yeah, but no, he just like checked his pulse and his wrist falls off. He didn't make it. You're right. No, that was good. That was good. Um, yeah, that's a great example. This is there actually for as like negative I've been on parts of this movie. There are some scenes where I was like, I, I had trouble picking a, a favorite scene. Um, you know, because I did generally, genuinely enjoy like the scenes where they were just all just like talking, uh, you know, like around a table, whether it's in the in the diner or like right after they got they recruited the bowler, they were all sitting around a table at the shoveler's house, and that scene was good. Like there was some good dialogue and back and forth in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, and I think you did pick and that's the best scene in the movie. So I'm going to take up my runner up. Which is when they attack the the limo. I I enjoy that oh, scene too. Yeah. Uh- um, because they find Casanova Frankenstein's limo and they attack it, and you know they catch him by surprise, and you see everyone's kind of power is on display. Um, of course, the plane farts into the window when they roll it up, which <laughs> is the one time I kind of chuckled at, at a fart joke in this in this movie. And you you had like Ben Stiller trying to make himself angry, but he actually can't do anything. He's just like hitting the the roof of the car, and nothing's happening. I I, I thought that was a pretty good sequence too. And I don't yeah no it's fine no it, it it's kind of the movie in microcosm right. Right, because like they kind of only achieve being kind of annoying to the limo. Like it's just like isn't like one of the just kind of like hitting it with like his shovel and stuff, and like it's yeah, really yeah, right. Um, and they they probably also could have like ended the movie right there, right? I mean, sure. but they weren't like prepared, I guess, uh, to do that as no. a group yet. But exactly, yeah, no, <laughs> that's a great sequence. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really really good choice. MVP, who do you got? 
William H. Macy for me. Ah, good choice. This is egg salad. It's loaded with cholesterol. The wife won't even let me touch it. Hardly seems to matter now, because chances are we're already dead. Yeah, uh, I've always sung his phrases earlier on. I felt like he, he, he was the only one who didn't feel like he was trying too hard, who, who just put in a good performance and was funny. Uh, him and Gina, Gina Garofalo. But like you said, like Gina Garofalo is not going to elevate the material she's given. She's just going to like, if you give her something good, it's going to be great. Or that fits her, it's going to be great. And if you give her something bad, it's going to be awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, everyone else, you know, I thought Hank Azaria did, did well, but it, he just, I don't think he did as good. You know what I mean? He was, mm-hmm. he was a nice little wrinkle to it. I thought Ben Stiller was kind of annoying in this movie. And no one else was really in it enough or consistent enough to where, like, I considered them. I didn't think the directing was good enough to give it to that. Or, And at the same time, like, I felt like the heart of this movie was William H. Macy's character. I mean, it had heart elsewhere. But his was the real story that I felt like had the most heart. And he kind of rose to be like the leader of the group by the end, I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought his character arc worked pretty well. I don't know. I just, when I look back on what was like the solid foundations of the movie, I see William H. Macy. He's also kind of relatable in the sense that like, you know, he has like a wife and he's like, uh, how long are you going to keep doing this stuff? Like, are you going to focus? You have your kids at home right here. Like, like how, how long are you going to keep doing that stuff? And I feel like that's a very every man kind of thing that like, like a lot of audience members potentially could relate to of like, how long do you hold on to a dream? And, you know, it was makes it so triumphant when he got, becomes a leader. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice yeah. little arc for him. I think it's really and cool. He becomes a leader and actually saves the day. Like he becomes a hero and it is. Yeah. Right. And because like, and I think they do a good job of like, his wife is kind of feels reasonable in this movie. Like she's not a heartbeat or anything. She's really, she's, 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 she has a good she's point. genuinely concerned for her husband. And yeah, she has a point. Like he just has a shovel. Like what, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> and especially because like, he's not that good at crime fighting. So like right. you sympathize with her even more. Like you, you see why she'd rather him be at home with her, his kids instead of like, being a terrible little crime fighter. So yeah, you're, you're good at being a husband and a father. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. I, yeah. 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 Great choice. It's yeah. MVP was kind of hard because it doesn't feel like an ensemble kind of. I mean, it feels like it is. So I don't know if there's ever really like a standout of like this wouldn't have worked without this person. I went with Kinnear. I think. I knew you couldn't change. I knew you'd know that. Oh, I know that. And I knew you'd know. I'd know you knew. But I didn't. I only knew that you'd know that I knew. Did you know that? Of course. Again, I think I forget how good he can be because um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of his um best stuff was maybe when I was a little too young or I didn't really appreciate at the time. And um, he is just so <laughs> he's so funny without trying to be funny. I think in his head he's playing him like he's a. This is very reasonable, <laughs> this, mm-hmm. this insane thing he's doing. He's just like, yeah, I got, you know, there's no crime to solve, and I'm a crime fighter, so I'm going to create some crime and I'll solve it. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, he's just so, <clears throat> he's just perfect for that kind of role, this kind of um, alternate kind of uh, jerk Superman. Um, but only a jerk because he's in it for himself, not like an active right. bad guy. Well, he, he's just, he's yeah, just self-centered. He, he's self-centered. And you can tell he didn't start out as a jerk, right? Just, he got addicted to the fame. Yeah, and, I think he's perfect for that. Right. And I also really enjoyed him and his one scene as Lance Hunt 
in like the same asylum. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, they, they, the entrance they, is so funny. It was. <laughs> um, and they, they do kind of like pull off the gag without like drawing, like actually having to like say a line of dialogue to like accentuate it. You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. get exactly what they're going for. It's not subtle or anything, but like, I think some movies would have like, but like, oh, is the audience going to get this? We need to like have a line of dialogue to explain it when they don't, they wisely ignore that instinct. Yeah, it's a moment of restraint. And they already kind of set it up with the sequence you were talking about. The, um, he, can't, he can't fight crime without his glasses. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Right, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, and so I, I, he's a good choice. Um, and like I said, like part of you wanted him in this movie more. Like it's nice to have a guy who's not in it a lot, who's kind of like brings a lot when he's in it. But at the same time, like Greg Kinnear is so good in this role. You kind of want to see more of him. Agreed. Lasting effect on the genre. Uh, this one's going to be pretty quick. Um, I, I Hard to gauge. I know it's kind of a cult favorite amongst like our generation. I don't know what the lasting appeal would be for anyone younger or older. Um, Here, here's, here's my question. How many like superhero parody blockbusters have come out since this movie came out? I don't know about full-on parodies. I guess like stuff like the Suicide Squad, like James Gunn specifically, has like a uh, you know parody element to it. I suppose like Guardians, if you really squint and uh, you okay. kind of call that no, kind that's, of satirical. That's, not, that's, that's fair, but, yeah, but, but it took like fifteen point. years. Two, yeah, it took like fifteen year years. Point. Yeah, to your point, uh, none really. Yeah. Not like this. I mean, they did come out with Watchmen about ten years after this, but that was. That's not quite that's, the same thing. That's dark satire. That's not even really like. Yeah. That's like not comedy. That's. More it's like also a, like it's based off of a fairly famous comic book. So. Right. Um. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I, I don't really make movies like this anymore. So I think it's kind of an interesting little microcosm, if nothing else. Is. I also wonder, like I, I think I alluded to this earlier. They probably made it too soon. And I think it's interesting. I think Hollywood is so cynical on superhero movies. Like they think it's just stupid. I think a lot of people in Hollywood think superhero movies are stupid. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting, like, this movie got made before Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman. This movie got made before Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. This movie got made before uh, well, most heroes, most before a Hulk movie, before, um, who's another A-lister who hasn't uh, got a movie at this point? Aquaman, I guess. I don't know. He's not really an A-lister. Aquaman. Kind of no, thing, but... The Flash. Flash. You got a Flash movie before you had a X-Men movie. This got made, oh, I mean, X-Men was being yeah. made around the time of this movie, but this movie still got made first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it, the thing it also goes to show, like, Hollywood was really ready to just, like, parody superheroes, you know, um, and kind of roll their eyes at, at superheroes right from the get-go, I think. And that's probably sure. why despite the fact that we had a very successful Superman movie in, what was it, 1978? Yeah. There still hasn't been, like, that many major characters who've gotten their movie at this point. We're, 90, we're 20 years later in our watch-through, and they're still... We're, they're making Mystery Men a superhero parody before they make X-Men and Spider-Man. And some of that has to do with legal rights. I do understand sure. there's, there's a lot of legal holdups to those movies being made, but... There weren't the same legal holdups for the DC stuff. Wonder Woman could have been made. There's no legal holdup there. The Flash, um, Aquaman, like you said, Green Lantern. Green All Lantern. those movies 
easily could have been made for legal reasons anyway. Like there's no legal holdup like the Marvel movies had. Right. Um, they could have just done it. Yeah, they could have just done it and they didn't because they just never took it seriously. So I, I think this movie was both made a little too early and also kind of killed the parody, superhero parody genre for a little bit too with this lack of commercial success. Yeah, you kind of imagine like if this movie made ten years later, uh, the cast would be completely different too. To imagine like like a Bill Hader in, in this or something, or like John Hamm as like the asshole Superman or something. Um, oh, that would yeah. be a role he'd excel at. Um, mm-hmm. I think a, I think yeah. I think that'd be a really good casting. But uh, that'll have to live in the multiverse, unfortunately. As a and what we have right now is a mixed bag, but I think um, I think we're mostly positive. But we're gonna um, do our final segment here and um, put a number on it. We're gonna rate this out of ten. Ten what's I don't know. Um, I'm waffling between a six and a half and a seven. Um, uh, skulls in a skulls in a bowling ball. Uh, I'll go seven. I'm, I'm feeling we're it's it's December. Christmas is coming. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, yeah. I will. I'll give it six and a half. Um... I liked it. I liked a lot of it. Dislike other parts of it. I think six and a half is, is about where I went. Yeah, I think that's cool. fair. <laughs> that closes the door on Mystery Men. Next week is a grand finale in terms of actual talking about movies. We do have a wrap up show um, soon after that. That's a big finale. It's not even really the 90s, it's 2000s X Men. Um, a movie that I think we're both familiar with. No need to ask the question of if you've ever seen it. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think I know the answer to that. So that will be our um, big finale, and we'll kind of um, pivot from there, and we'll talk all about that um, as we get closer to it. Uh, you can catch up on what those announcements are going to be on our Instagram, at Pop Culture Historians Podcast, on our website, popculturehistoriansdot.wordpress.com, on Twitter, slash X, at PC Historians. Uh, yeah, and we have a full archive up on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So we talk about um, 90s superhero movies, 80s, 70s, all the way back to the serials of 30s, 40s, and 50s. We also talk about, as Jimmy mentioned earlier in this episode, uh, we've done a lot of Universal Monster movie talk. And finally, if Doctor Who is more your bag, we got something special coming for you uh, pretty <laughs> soon. Classic Doctor Who Season 5, the Patrick Troughton era, the second year of Patrick Troughton. So uh, keep a lookout for that in the new year. Uh, life lesson. Never give up on your dreams. Look at, look, at, uh, look at the shoveler. He did it. Good man. That's yeah. all I got. Hey, look. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know, don't don't blame your flatulence on an old uh, witch. I guess that'd also be a good gypsy woman. I guess, or you'll turn out like Paul Rubens. Um, (laughs) You'll get humped by a a, a skunk. Um, In the moonlight. In the moonlight. All right. Next week, the X Men, and then uh, more to come after that. Um, My name is Ryan. That's Jimmy. Red Pop Culture Historians, signing off.